I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 39, Dave finds a corridor he doesn't remember. To tackle Minute 39, we have Kieran Black of Super Lunch along with Sarah Black. Audio note, they were filmed right in the middle of our living room, so a little bit of the sound quality is not perfect. You come home... There's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the... There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. Give me a sense of that. This doesn't make any sense. Is that a problem? Is it a promise to my second? It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. If I get a few words from you before you go. We're talking about how the yarn is a ontological paradox. Because it is. Okay, so yarn is like a big ball, right? And balls are associated with like infinity and like existence. This is something you pointed out to me, actually. Yeah, epistemology versus ontology and Stanley Kubrick. And spheres are ontological and rectangles are epistemological. Yeah. So yarn, by that definition, would be ontological. Also, it's nice because ontological has an O, which is a nice little circle. So what does ontology seem to find? What questions does ontology ask? Honestly, I don't even know. I just know it's a word that has to do with the conscious thing's state of experience in consciousness. So, yarn. It's a ball, right? It's definitely an ontological shape. But, also it gives off the impression of lasting for a long time. Like the yarn, you pull the yarn, and the ball still stays like roughly the same size. You have this illusion of the infinity of ontological existence via this yarn, but then you know what? You pull it far enough, it's not a ball of yarn anymore. And now it's perfectly straight line, and now it's epistemological, because it's a long rectangle that has like, done things and experienced things, so now it's like, concerned with knowing that epistemology is not Does that mean that all experience comes out of out of knowing? Yeah. Well, all knowing comes out of experience. So experience is first, and the unraveling is the knowing? Yeah. Okay, so how does that relate to to the scene? Mm. Well, I guess she kind of scoffs at his idea of it all existing in his imagination. Which... It's reasonable to stop at, but I don't know. Maybe her yarn just hasn't been unrolled far enough, you know? She just can't handle extrasensory perception like that, you know? She's just not woke enough. Is the wall growing? The yarn unraveling? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, why is she a sufferer? And he's feeling. He's making observations about that. Okay, wait, why is her head, like, alone in the shot? Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, 
Well, she's dead now. She got her head chopped off. She's dead. So, now the yarn's really been pulled. And it's laying all around her. And she's in the center of the shot as the kind of climax of this ontological process. Where she ran, she lived her whole life, and now the yarn's been pulled. It's all over the place. And she's dead. So, is it only in death that we can really see the, the yarn being pulled? No, you, can, you can't see the you end know. product of all the yarn. Because your scope is too limited as an elderly person to really take in your entire life. So, is he trying to take a knife to the cardboard? Well, no, he doesn't. I don't think he does, does he? Because, like, he convinces... She wants to or something, and he convinces her not to. It's like, it's very fragile. It's like a spider web. Uh, I don't really know where you're going with that. I don't know either. I was just trying to figure it out. Why do you think it's made out of cardboard? That's pretty much one of the weakest wall structures that there are. They're not getting surrounded in brick or like stone. Not even mud. Yeah, it's cardboard. cardboard. I think, okay, I just thought of this. I think it's a symbol for the continual walls that we build up in our brains and the connections that we make become like continually cardboard and kind of unnecessary and like just more complicated to walk through because over the years you've kind of built all these cardboard walls in your mind you know so we think that they have purpose and structure but they really don't really they're just playing with you dog (laughs) so we can just tear down our own maze whenever we want to yeah but you get comfortable in it because it's precious like a spider web (laughs) and you don't want to break it but maybe one day you'll break it and you'll fall through and you'll see all the wreckage for what it really is. But yeah, him being like, it's too fragile is obviously like, really? He's either talking about the connections in his brain or his ego or something. Just like some sense of identity. Like, it's too fragile. Like, I don't know. I just don't think he's capable of making any like confident decisions. And I think he kind of just recluded, or what's the word for that? Um, One of them is a recluse, recludes. Yeah. Is that, is that fair? Is that a word? So, he's self-sequestered. Nice. But everybody self-sequesters, right? Is it, is it possible for anybody to actually know anybody else? No, because it's impossible for anyone to know themselves in the first place. That's why it's funny when people say they know people. Oh, yeah, Bill. I know Bill pretty well. I've been working with him for six years. They don't know Bill, like, jerks off with coconut oil, like, every day at 8.30 p.m. to, like, the same magazine since he was 17 or something. Or, like, that when he was seven years old, his mom, like, accidentally threw up on him or something. Like, they just, they just don't know. Are those the things that make a person a person more than the daily interactions that people have with each other? I know that's a pretty grand question. <laughs> um, I'd like to opt towards chaos theory when things are chaotic. <laughs> so, 
just gonna. It's just such a chaos theory is like nihilism. It's such a comfy like argumentative tool. You're just like because <sighs> maybe they know that like Bill goes to the coffee maker at eight forty five every day, and they know that he spends. 20 minutes on his computer playing games before he actually makes any phone calls and they know like so would that knowing be any more or less than what he does at 8.30 young leaves how, how I think of it is like knowing this one process of a human like okay for examples the mother thing is just as valuable as the let's say video game thing because mm-hmm. if I'm going by like uh, Nietzschean nihilism, everything is inherently not valued and therefore valued the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works for chaos theory well nicely too. So let's say these are equal. So not only... Okay, so you're obviously working with like a fractional amount of information. Let's say half. But all of these different instances make connections with each other and influence each other. So if you're missing half of them arithmetically, like logarithmically and exponentially, you're missing so many of the processes. Because it's just like the nature of multiplication is that like, um, like two, like four times four times four is way bigger than four times four. Like, say, what kind of knowledge or experience would be needed? to know anybody at all. Potentially, all of those things wouldn't really... Well, we would I don't have... want to say teach us about the person, but do we only observe and or observe things about other people so that we ourselves know how to respond to that stimuli and function ourselves? So you're talking like... Basically, you're talking... The good old, are humans inherently individualist or collectivist question? Some. Because most some philosophical one? questions always come down to like 10 different things. And yeah. that's <laughs> one of them. Um, I don't know. That's one of the questions. I don't know. More like symbolic interactions and communication. Okay, like uh, people's archetypes? Like people fulfilling roles in... Somewhat. Like, our identities are only shaped because other people decided who we are. Somebody. Well, that's, yeah, that's basic identity, right? You only know who you are because of other people. It's like the first rule. But yeah, I guess, especially going back to individual and collectivist cultures, in individualistic cultures, especially like the United States, there's so much pressure to both find yourself and to find what you do. And you're defined by what you do and your level and measure of productivity. And then whether other people appreciate or obtain value from that measure of productivity. Like, Japanese culture is even more like that, too. Like, it's like that in the U.S., for sure. But it's, like, even more contrived in Japan. Where are we going with that? We can do a PowerPoint on collectivism. Let's go back to the... (laughs) To the... To the walls, then. The very flimsy wall structure. Mm, it's kind of like the... Uh, I don't know what this movie's philosophical standpoint is. A 
and like obvious questions because like it's pretty ambiguous and also it's very inherently philosophical but they kind of hide in their like juvenile ambiguity by juvenile ambiguity do you mean like the use of humor to try to connect the audience or engage the audience with what's happening in what otherwise could be too serious or too nihilistic or too off-putting. Yeah, it kind of feels artificial in its sense of, kind of feels like it's trying to placate you, if you will. Or is it, is it just absurdist to me? No, I would like it a lot more if it was absurdist. <laughs> Anymore. Do you want to plug Super Lunch? Oh, yeah. I make art with people and it coalesces. Okay, I'm going to restart. Music band Super Lunch Spotify. And then I could probably disarm all the traps and then we could. We can finish this maze! Who is with me? That was Kieran Black of Super Lunch along with Sarah Black taking on Minute 39 of Dave Made a Maze. I'm not sure they'll be participating again. Next time, on Dave Made a Minute, we've got Chris Durkotch and Jeff Ferry of Jay and Silent Bob Minute taking on Minute 40. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what? <laughs>